0: Do you want to know what's going on in the Adventist world, but you only have five minutes? Well, you're in luck. The Scratch is an SDA news aggregator condensing broad news down into one short brief delivered right to your inbox every single week. The Scratch team has developed a new, more efficient way for Adventists from all generations and all places to engage with their denomination, but they need your help. In order to fund this endeavour, they're raising $12,000 by July 9th through Kickstarter. If you believe that news should be accessible and easy to understand, consider supporting The Scratch by going to www.thescratchnews.com. That's (laughs) www.thescratchnews.com.
1: Welcome back to Burn the Haystack
0: with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices.
1: And as you know, we have spoken about a lot of topics that could be controversial, but I don't think any have divided people as much as what today's will,
0: unfortunately. That's That's a pretty bold claim about controversy, but I think you're half right, definitely. I mean... It is a dicey episode, it's a dicey topic, it's a spicy topic, uh, and it is kind of icy? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well that's the <laughs> thing though, that's that's a weird thing about today's topic, I don't, I, I personally don't
1: understand why it's so divisive, I mean I guess mm. I do in theory, but I, I don't, like, I don't think anything else we've talked about maybe has split so many churches and split so many people and, you know what I mean? I don't think our community... <laughs> uh, at Burn the Haystack, here will be um will be as affected by it, but I'm sure even just listening, everybody will have different opinions. But I guess it's something. So we're a little bit nervous about what we're talking about
0: today. Well, I am at least. <laughs> yeah can 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 we can we peel back the curtain and be a little bit honest about this particular episode? Um, because this is actually not the first time that we have uh, recorded this episode. It was a. Quite a, It was quite a few months ago, we had planned on releasing an episode on worship and music and we recorded it and it was all good to go and it was, it was all finished. But then we decided it wasn't appropriate or it wasn't the right time or we felt that, I don't know, it, it's one of those really interesting things where you have opinions and you have thoughts on a particular topic and... But sometimes they don't always come out the way that you intend them to. And it's for us as podcasters, it's often a real struggle of I hope people don't misinterpret or I hope they don't take this the wrong way, at least for me. Well, I don't know. From your perspective, what was that like for you, Josh? Yeah,
1: I think when we recorded it the first time, it wasn't a bad episode. Uh, We'll we'll never release it, (laughs) but it wasn't a bad episode or anything. It just wasn't. It's one of those things when you're talking about something delicate, you you have to you have to touch on it really delicately, and I don't think we did it. We do. Well, I don't think we did it well enough, and I just remember the dwelling on it. And I think it was only about the day before we released it or something. I remember we just had a chat and we're like, "No, we can't. We can't release this. We we'll just redo mm-hmm. it down the track somewhere." And it's been months, yeah. um, and I'm still a bit hesitant about ever re-recording. But it's it's one of those things. We just I feel we need to talk about it. It's a haystack needs to be there's stuff that needs to be burned there's a truer way of following jesus within it all and it's something that doesn't just relate to adventism it actually relates to denominations all over the world Um, yeah Yeah. so yeah i think we need to talk about it and probably not even in just one episode probably needs to be talked about in a bunch of episodes but
0: at least we'll start it (laughs) today hopefully And, and to be honest and to be honest this was an episode that it 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 was gonna it was an eventuality. It was a it was gonna be made no matter what. Because I mean, for those of you who know Josh, you know that he's a great worship leader. If you went to Avondale or you know him from Melbourne or even here in North New Zealand. Um, you know, worship leading and music is a huge passion of Josh's, it's a huge passion of mine. Um really, I don't know who if you're a millennial and you just not into music and you're a Christian, I mean, I don't know there are many of you out there. Um, but music is super important to us. And I know it's super important to a lot of people and it's super important to a lot of people on a lot of different levels. A lot of people love the worship music that we like and a lot of people love to guard against people <laughs> getting into the yeah. worship music that we like. <laughs> yeah. So, no matter where you fall on that spectrum... Um, music is important music is significant and there's no denying that music has a really profound effect on the way that we live our lives and the way that our lives are ordered it's it's a huge deal it is a huge deal no matter which way you slice it
1: yeah absolutely and that's what always makes it so hard to hard to talk about i mean i c- i love talking about it but today i guess we're going to be talking about the more divisive side of it um and it's funny because even Jesse and I have differing, so not really much, but a bit of differing opinion on on worship. And even uh, like, I remember in our, it was like a podcasting chat and I was watching a lot of the opinions of people in the chat about worship. Um, they had a little chat and I actually missed it. <laughs> I, was just, I was rereading <laughs> old messages. I'm like, dang, I would have loved to contribute to this, but it, they'd already moved on to another topic. So I couldn't really bring it back. But I was even looking at a lot of those comments. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't really see it either. I do with these with these people. Um, mm. Not, I don't think it's bad to see it differently. And so I guess that's what I really want before we, I guess, get into it. I want you guys to just see our heart that we're actually doing this because there's been so much damage, and we want to help people. I guess see a clearer picture, um, mm. and maybe be able to. I don't know if we can actually fix <laughs> much of the damage, but even moving forward, helping people to deal with it in better ways. Um, that's not going Mm. to be as damaging Um, and yeah I don't know it's it's really challenging and so this is an episode where we definitely will want a lot of feedback and a lot of chat about it yeah Um, so
0: yeah yeah. if I could maybe start us off with a bit of a pastoral sort of perspective Um, when I when I first started um, pastoring here in North New Zealand conference um, the very first church that I Uh, started in as an intern had been uh, 10 to 15 years prior to me arriving there had been the subject of a pretty heated uh, worship wars we all know kind of the worship wars if you don't if you never experienced that it's you know it's basically when a church has big discussions and to be honest sometimes fights around the issue of worship specifically what instruments are appropriate and are inappropriate to be used in worship? What sort of songs are appropriate or inappropriate to be used in worship? That sort of stuff. and Genre as well. Genre, yeah. So, as you can tell by the term worship wars, it can get ugly. And there's actually a, a small local church that is now no longer affiliated with the Adventist denomination in the area where I was, was doing my internship that was the group of people that were once part of this larger church body who after this particular worship wars decided what they wanted to do was to split away and to start their own church with the type of music and theology that they felt was more appropriate. Interestingly enough, I spent two years in that city, beautiful time, beautiful church, beautiful people, but you could tell because it wasn't just church members who had gone through this worship wars. It was, it was family members. They were friends. They were, you know, sons and, 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 and fathers. Um, one of the worship leaders there, his, his father, um, really, really had a, a hard time, and he had a hard time uh, bringing drums into the church. And then funnily enough, uh, two years later, after I finished my internship, I was transferred to Palmerston North, where I currently am. The church that I'm now pastoring um, is a is on the other end of that spectrum. It's the split-off church. It's the church that kind of ended up existing because of the worship wars. Not just the worship wars. There's always a lot of other stuff going on. So, we can't just put it down to worship, but it played a big role in it. So, And I've seen... As I've pastored people and as I've talked to them and I've asked them about their stories, I've seen the effects that this has had. And the worship wars and these debates around, around music and genre and instruments, man, they leave they leave scars. In many cases, scars that take years to heal. So, it's it seems quite frivolous to talk about this stuff because on the surface, it seems quite silly. Why would you have All these huge, huge arguments around drums and guitars and organs and what's the point? But the the proof is in the pudding. Um, The way that we have handled this as a church has been really, really toxic over the years. So that's just sort of what I've seen from a pastoral perspective. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, growing up as a kid, I remember being a part of a church that was a split off of another church because of worship Uh, and then later on we moved into state and then when we started going to church again we were a part of a church and then that church split while we were there not just around worship but around mission but worship was a point um you know there was just so much and then there was a group that came to us because they split off from another church because of worship and (laughs) then there was another group that split off from us because of worship. you know what i mean it was just ridiculous thinking about it um so it's it's why it's just so divisive, and yeah, it kind of breaks my heart that something so beautiful as music can be so divisive.
0: Mm. Um, so, yeah. for, from from your perspective, from what you've experienced, Josh, where is the where wh- where does this come from? Like, where where do these arguments um, occur? Because it seems quite, as I said, it seems quite arbitrary. But why do people get their knickers in a twist so much um, <laughs> about this topic of worship? What, what, where does it all come from? In your opinion,
1: you know, I actually I find it really hard to figure out um, how far back this goes. Um, just because, I, like, there are so many things that have divided people over the years. Obviously, we have a lot of Christian denominations. Um, you know, like way way back from the 1500s um so like i don't know i guess historically i don't i know i know martin luther used to get in a bit of trouble because he used to really love having very syncopated songs um and he used to write particular songs but he didn't get in trouble for the syncopation he got i think he got in trouble just because it was super loud um and very (laughs) in your face uh and so i don't i don't know like i think there's always been a as the church has grown over time, because I think like if you go back to sort of the book of Acts, um, like the very early church when they're meeting in home groups, I don't think worship would have been an issue because the real issue would have been, are we going to die tomorrow for being Christians? I don't Yeah. <laughs> and they probably just sang, if they sang, they probably just sang songs with just people in a home singing. Um, I, do, I do remember do, when I used to study music, I remember reading how there was a bit of controversy over, like, because um, back in the day, back in the day, um, <laughs> the, so the Catholic Church, when I, I guess when there was only the Catholic Church, they were really the pioneers of music. Um, there weren't any harmonies before the Catholic Church used them to worship God or anything like that. Um, and this is, like, way back even before the Catholic Church was w- what we know it was when... There was the big Protestant split, for example. Mm, um, mm. So think of like a yeah, like a very early, early, early um, version of the Catholic Church. I remember they made things like um, Gregorian chants, which is when they started. Because originally they used to just put everybody on stage, um, and then they would the choir would sing the song, the congregation wouldn't sing the song, and then they brought in. I think the first harmony they brought in was like fifths in their chants. So they would sing just in fifths. If that, I don't know if you're a musical person. It's it's like a pretty pretty standard harmony. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, they would okay, just sing okay. that. There was no other. And then, yeah, later on, they sort of kept adding more things and eventually they had these sort of beautiful intertwining choruses. And I know there was a bit of, even there was a bit of controversy even back then because people were like, it's too complicated. We can't listen to it. It's confusing us as we listen because there's harmonies. You know what I mean? So... Mm. I don't know. I think as long as there's been opinion, there's been division. <laughs> if that
0: Makes sense. <laughs> and, and that seems to be that seems to be human nature to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, there have been many controversies over the years in Christian circles about you know this opinion versus that opinion. But as as you've mentioned, it worship does seem to be a fairly modern um, sort of controversy. I mean back in the day, um, now I'm saying back in the day like before yeah. <laughs> the invention before the invention of the guitar or you know modern instruments, it, I don't think that that we the church really associated music with bands or even really associated music with a specific type of um, genre like if I if I think about you know ancient medieval to, to Renaissance, music it's all kind of it it's orchestral or it's traditional and it's all linked it's sort of ethnic like you have your ethnic songs that are linked to your culture or then you have you your classical composers or your baroque composers who they're all christians anyway and their music was all kind of very spiritual but it wasn't necessarily seen as worship music so the the idea the concept of worship music as a genre i mean if you take hymns out of it, worship music, contemporary Christian worship music is really sort of 20th century. This is sort of like a new thing that we're doing. Whereas before it was hymns and we sort of, we sung hymns, but we sung hymns that were written two or three hundred years ago. And that's all we sung. So like the 20th century worship music, that's kind of like a new deal in a way. Is is it, Am I right in that sense or am I a little bit off? Oh yeah, I would... I would say you're pretty right.
1: <laughs> um, cool, yeah. cool. Like we de- <laughs> we definitely live in a in an interesting time now, um, where originally, like for example, in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, we had the Seventh Day Adventist hymnal was passed around to all the churches, so all the churches had the exact same set of songs that they would all sing, um, which was an incredibly efficient way for all these churches to learn songs. They updated it. Uh, It had the music in there. It had all the words. It was a really great system. Mm. Uh, Now, with the internet, um, obviously, and things like radio and all those sort of things, um, the ability to find songs has really just, yeah, become so much quicker. For example, um, Hillsong United's latest album, People, I listened to that the day of release. Like yeah. the day that they yeah. decided to publish it, I was able to listen to it because I have an exscrip- uh, subscription subscription um, to mm. iTunes Music, whatever it is. And so, like before, you that wasn't really that wasn't really possible. I mean, even before it was released, I was listening to pre-release songs. So the album wasn't even out yet, and I was listening to songs. Do you know what I mean? So it's we we have we've had a great idea of having our churches unified in song um, in the past, but we just haven't we haven't. Kept an updated version of that. Uh, I mean, there were the Worship Today books, which were a really great initiative. Mm. Um, I think they could have kept going and mm. probably done a lot of good if we maybe circulated them as much as we circulated Adventist hymnals. Um, but then the thing is that people are already like, "No, we should just be using the sacred hymnals." And I don't, I don't know. Wh- I don't know at what stage people began to think that those hymnals were sacred. I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know where that comes from personally. Um, I guess yeah. that the the book was. Blessed as it was sent out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: would I, I would argue probably and this is this is definitely not something that I've thought about at a great length of time, but I would probably somewhat blame the rise of evangelical fundamentalism with that sort of opinion because it's similar to the way that people treat the Bible. You know, before the twentieth century, people weren't incredibly passionate about proving that everything in the Bible was true or that the flood account really happened or that creation was a literal six days or that literally every word of the Bible is God breathed and useful for teaching and reprimanding and all that sort of stuff like the sort of stuff that we throw out today in fundamentalism uh, perhaps that's where it's come from that is a that's a bit of a guess but I don't recall hearing about or reading about anybody getting upset over what songs we should sing in church pre 20th century pre you know um 1900s onward
1: yeah ah uh, yeah i would say no. there would have
0: been a bit but not the same as
1: what it is today um mm. i remember uh, a a his, a certain history teacher in in Palmerston North <laughs> telling me about a story um and i can't remember the details i think it was down in dunedin in the south island in or oh, maybe the early 1900s yeah maybe early yeah not early 1900s so there was like a massive argument about um how evil like it was like a puritan thing and they had a massive uh. argument they had this big beautiful organ they had this massive argument about how evil organs were so they ended up taking it and like chopping it up and burning it in the streets and that sort of thing. Wow. And that's pretty early 1900s. So I'm going to say it would have been going on a bit before that as well for that sort of thing to be coming out. But okay. yeah, it's a big, I think it's a big movement of people just wanting to be as pure as they can before God, which is you like, I guess there's a good heart in it. You know, it's, it's not a bad, it's not bad to want to, um, to want to live your life in a godly way. Yeah. Um, But yeah. it's, yeah, it it can be majoring in the minors in a way. Yeah, um, if you, yeah, if you're getting into that sort of nitty gritty stuff, um, because I think people have this idea that, like, they have this idea of what pure is, but pure is like these 1800 America, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Like we think of, I guess, how early Adventist pioneers, and they're like, oh, they're so pure. I just wish we could be like them. And uh, they think that's so biblical. But really, I'm sure they would have been struggling mm. with a lot of the things we struggle with today, but just in a different way. Um, and I think really, if we're going to be as pure as we can, um, maybe we should go, try and go back to singing like the same songs that our Jewish ancestors would have sung with the same sort yeah. of instruments from the Old Testament. I could under That I could understand more than feeling the need to just sing, for example, hymns with an organ. I could understand yeah. that the the first option more because it would make more sense that they want to go back to being like more like their biblical roots, mm, but this is wanting mm. to go to something that's still at least eighteen hundred years removed from the Bible, and that's the so thing that's why that I, I get a bit confused about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. There seems to be sort of this enamoring, this sort of uh, captivation with early or mid 19th century sensibilities, which is so, it's it's American. It's also Victorian, like Victorian era. Um, yeah. Which is very, you know, Queen Victoria is well known for being very strict and very prudent and kind of prudish as well. And it was all very <laughs> much about appearances and making sure that everything was above board and, you know, not untoward and other big words that don't really mean anything <laughs> in our modern context all that all that sort of stuff so it, it almost seems like the it almost seems like the desire for outward appearances to be all good to sing only those sorts of songs to dress a certain way to believe in certain things it almost seems like it's all just kind of for show and it's all to kind of prove how good i am and how awesome I am versus everybody else I don't know if that's the right way to think about it but that's just what it seems to be all kind of pointing towards and it doesn't seem to be actually very biblical
1: yeah um, I, I mean the the a, another problem we run into as well is sort of um, what we call what like um, last, last day theology last
0: generation I'm, theology LGT yeah. or last day perfectionism yeah
1: yeah, it's basically where people believe in the time like just before Jesus comes that there'll be people who are perfect and sinless. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, we... Yeah, obviously we don't really buy into that because I don't think you can be perfect while you're here on earth until Jesus comes again, um, personally. Oh, it's it's a heresy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I can't really entertain it too much. But I guess no. in that in that pursuit of perfectionism, people believe that they can even have perfect perfect music, uh, worship in music. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got to remember that worship is more than just music, but today we're talking about specifically music because that's an area that I guess I know a little bit more about than some of the others. But, um, and so I guess, but in that pursuit, it's sort of, you can't have perfect worship because even the best worship and and purest worship we can offer up is still nothing compared to what God deserves. Mm. Like we could never muster up the, a, a song that adequately could ever describe our God in melody or lyrics, because He's so much more than anything our our melodies or lyrics could ever um, could ever describe. Mm. And that's, I suppose, the ama- that that's the amazing thing about it that even in our <laughs> mediocre genre and mediocre lyrics, He still accepts us just as we are, and He still loves it when His children worship Him. Mm. For me, that's a, that's a, an exciting and humbling posture of worship that I try and enter into that, I mean, songs can be really meaningful to me, but at the same time, when I remember how big and amazing God is and how much he's done and how worthy he is of my worship, it's like, <laughs> this song's pathetic. You know, You know what I mean? This is nothing compared to what he's worth. But that's yeah. why we worship. It's to remind ourselves that he is so far above and that's what music is so good at doing because music... Is such a powerful tool and it, pardon the pun, but w- music really amplifies things that are already there within us. Um, mm. You know, and that's why like music, I don't think music can necessarily be manipulative, but music can amplify. So you have to understand that. Um, so a sad song, for example, it sounds, a sad sounding song. So maybe a song written in like a minor key. Um, and it's got a lot of minor chords, a lot of like very sad sort of sounding things. Um, it can make you feel sad. It can it can push a sort of that feeling on you, but it can have the opposite effect. Um, so for me, when I'm feeling sad, sometimes I listen to a sad sounding song, and it actually makes me feel happier because I feel like there's somebody who understands how I feel. Do you know what I mean? Like a sad mm. song can't force you to feel sad. That's impossible. But it can amplify feelings that are already there or help you make process feelings. Even I can listen to a really happy sounding song, but it can't force me to be happy. But if I'm yeah. happy and I listen to a happy song, it can like bring me to <laughs> euphoria almost. Or sometimes it can make me frustrated because I don't feel
0: like I'm there. Um, I, I, I want to I wanna pause on that really quickly because... You're hitting on an argument that is commonly used by those who um, are maybe in the camp of traditional, quote-unquote, worship versus contemporary worship, which is the idea that music forces people into certain states of mind, or can even force people into certain actions or behaviors. Right. So that's a yeah. that's a common that's a common argument I've heard. Um, music that's in a certain tempo I think I think it's usually the 4-4 four, four that they that they get you know really <laughs> upset about or syncopated um, drum beats or just a certain chord progression they'll often pull out you know when I was in the clubs in 1973 and I was listening to <laughs> yeah, these clubs. music I was getting drunk and doing drugs and sleeping around with random people and if you listen to that music you'll do that too Right, that's something that I hear commonly can you just talk to that you've already started which I think is great can you talk to that a little bit more
1: yeah I, I don't think I don't think music can force anything on you personally I think music like I said before I think music just amplifies what's there um, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's like science but not really science um, pseudoscience yeah pseudoscience around, around music as well Stuff that hasn't been proven, like for example, ah, uh, the one that drives me the most insane is there's that study that people love to quote, and it's like there's this um this guy he did this study with um water, and mm. he like looking at the very I don't know what do you what do you call like microscopic the elements of water, the molecules, and, yeah, and then seeing how they reacted with um with mu- different music playing, and then like. You see with the classical music it looks all calm and nice and then it's like rock music <laughs> and it looks like chaos. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: conclusive
1: it's conclusive. <laughs> I know. The evidence and points so to <laughs> this uh. this this exact study is like the major study that's like that gets quoted right at the beginning of there's a um worship uh, yeah a worship series wars? on worship oh. put out by the Adventist and Adventist but they're not they're not Adventist anymore. I think they're independent but it's called the distraction dilemma. Uh, I've yeah. watched I haven't watched the whole thing to confess, but I've watched enough to get it, and I, I can't watch anymore. <laughs> I guess I'm, I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I, sh- I could watch the whole thing if people really want and give more opinion on it. But, but he quotes his study at the beginning, and I thought that's interesting. Um, so I went and looked it up. But the, if you actually read the whole thing, it's absolutely ridiculous because then it goes on. And he's like showing that he's saying really nice words to the water. Like he's saying, you're beautiful. And it's all calm. And he's like, you're lovely. And it's all calm. And then he say, you're horrible. And then the water's all like chaotic, just like it was (laughs) with the rock music and stuff. (laughs) And I'm like, oh. And then I looked up, like he tried to replicate the experiment, but could never replicate it again. Other people have tried to replicate the experiment, but nobody's been able to replicate it. So that means it's not science. That's not how it works. He did it once and made it look good once for a photo, but could, he couldn't even do it again, let alone other scientists. So for me, you can't really quote something like that and put it right at the beginning of your big 10-hour presentation. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, I know I'm so not supposed to share
0: my opinion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's why like, I think there's a lot of people that quote science um, with music. Your best thing to do, and I know it takes a bit of time, go and find it and look it up because often there's stuff that you... Like maybe one one. Um, – I'm not a science guy, so I'm not like – I'm not super good at this, but maybe one study like sort of suggested something, but it wasn't properly peer-reviewed. It wasn't all yeah. those sort of things. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation when
0: it comes to music's effects on the body. And About could, I, could I quickly – could I quickly oh, yeah. add one thing just on that is that a lot of the tactics that you'll find and the distraction dilemma is a great example. A lot of the tactics with a lot of these guys that they employ to get their point across is to quickly move from one point to the next, one study to the next. And it's it's a way of hooking people in and convincing them and building a really, really solid sounding argument, but preventing people from actually being able to slow down, to double-check the data, to be able to double-check the the factuality of a lot of what is presented as, as gospel facts. And so, as Josh said, I would advise, whether it's with music, whether it's with theology, whether it's with news, do your research. Don't just listen, just don't, don't just watch a YouTube video that says, this one study said this, and therefore, blah, 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 blah. Go and check it out. Because a lot of these, especially if it's a well-documented, um, peer-reviewed study, a lot of the time, it, it I can almost guarantee you, it will not conclude with whatever the presenter is trying to portray as the logical conclusion of the study. My two cents. And that goes yeah, far no. beyond music.
1: Yeah, it, and that's the thing. It's, it's so... Like psychology and music I think are the two ones that I see quoted the most with a lot of sort yeah. of pseudoscience. Some of it's a good idea but if you like it's cool to look at and think oh it suggested this that's interesting that's fine but when it's you take it as gospel kind of thing that's when you gotta I don't know
0: yeah look at don't out be a stupid bit. <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. like the, it sounds really demeaning and condescending but when we when we accept fake news or fake facts as gospel truth and it's later it later turns out that they're wrong, it makes people look stupid, so don't look stupid. Just do your research. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jesse. Very harsh words, but <laughs> no, I get it. Um, so
1: yeah, about about kind of the only things that I don't know. Yeah, there's not much that's been really proven with music, other than if you play classical music or like really relaxing music to cows, they give more milk, which is nice on a dairy farm. Um, uh, but with with humans, one of the things that has been um. That has been like pretty pretty well peer reviewed um is that really loud and really um closely repetitive music can reduce um your ability to make decisions. So I'm not talking like a lot of people would use this, say if you have a bridge in a song and they sing the bridge like eight times they'd be like, look, it's it's stopping people from making decisions. That's not what this is about. This is like going into a club and then the music is like boom 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 boom, boom for like hours straight and Mm. it doesn't really change much that so it can affect the brain to stop you from making decisions because it's like a sensory overload basically that's why often when people go in clubs they get drunk they take drugs they listen to like really loud intense music often they don't make as good a decisions as they would when they're not in that environment it's a combination (laughs) of a lot of things yeah funny that so that's that's something that's probably worth taking in mind that maybe could apply to churches but the rest is kind of just we know music affects our emotions, but at the same time, it affects so many people's emotions differently. So it's really hard to actually work out exactly how it works, but it's a field that's always got interesting stuff coming coming out of it. So it's worth
0: looking mm. into. Um, where were we going with this? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think music, it's, it is fascinating how music kind of changes our emotions and affects our emotions. I remember there's this one scene in um, that Christian Bale movie, American Psycho, where he's He's about to murder somebody, and he puts on Huey Lewis and the News's "Hip to Be Square," and he's like talking cool. about like the aspects of the music, and he's like this real geeky music fan. And then he murders somebody, and the 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 combination of the horrible act that he's committing versus this "It's Hip to Be Square" like really happy, joyful music, it just makes for a really creepy really disturbing sort of scene and that's that's a way in which yeah it's really I mean it's a slasher film so it's not really everybody's cup of tea but the way that the music is used it's happy music but set to a really horrible scene and it just it's so funny how the music just really shapes and, and creates a different tone than what probably Huey Lewis and the News intended when they first recorded that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <Song>. probably
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, that's so that's the thing I don't think, yeah, we were talking about music and control I don't think music can ever really control you But you do have to be I think you have to be aware of how different music affects you uh, I think that's an important aspect That we need to keep it personal in that level mm. um, But a big thing as well with music Is genre and association So um, this is where people say um, rock music, for example, rock music was named after like rock and roll because they got in their cars and then they did the deed in the car and then the car's rocking and rolling and that kind of thing and oh, rock has I really actually bad. did not know that. Yeah, well that there you go, now you know. Um <laughs> it's super cheesy. Um, cool <laughs> yeah. Um but then yeah, so people have this like and obviously the rock scene, it's not like I don't know, it's not like, you know, there's lots of drinking and there's been drugs and fights and that kind of thing, obviously involved with the scene. And so people say that because, and uh, there's a lot of people in our, our churches, for example, they might've used to have been in that scene and that's the music they listened to when they did a whole lot of bad things that they now regret. So they, they come to this conclusion that that music is bad. And that yeah. music, because of that association with the genre, that the genre must be bad. Um mm. Now, for me, um, this is definitely on. This is definitely my personal opinion, and so if you disagree with it, that's totally fine. I don't think genre really has moral. I think genre is amoral. I think the only thing that really has moral is lyrics, personally, and the, I guess a combination of lyrics and the person writing the song. Um, that's how I see it. Like, I don't think any genre, because that's the thing. We live in an age now where genres are so not clean and set so you can't even really say that's a rock song because it might have a rock song but it might have a hip hop influence Um, or it might be a rock song but with electronic music or it might be you know that might be a country song but then it's also sort of folky but then they've also got a synth in there as well so where does that fit in synth isn't in country music and that song it's a really modern song but that's an opera singer singing it so it's not we live in an age where genre is almost totally thrown out the window you can kind of get a rough idea but (laughs) that's about Mm. it And so I think these genre associations don't really work anymore. And so what people have, um, sorry, I'll just say what people have said is like things like, for example, modern worship songs. They they obviously have a rock origin, so that's bad. But part of the problem with that logic is that, um, like a lot of hymns, for example, have a very classical music origin. But that origin isn't so clean either. No, Mm. I don't think any genre is completely clean because i mean you look at someone like mozart for example he lived he lived a very promiscuous life he did a lot of, a lot of dodgy yeah. like you know that's mozart and people are fine with that people like even the most classical people love to listen to mozart and they say how beautiful it is but really like just as he lived just as almost just as bad a like life as a lot of modern musicians today except in a different context so that's why for me um you know when jesus said it's not what goes into a man um, that's evil. It's actually what comes out of a man or that's unclean. Sorry. And I see that like when I take that into music, I think it's not, you can't listen to something that that's going to make you unclean and, and unworthy. But what you bring out is, is your, is your reflection of, of God and what your reflection of who you are on the inside and what God's doing, with you, I know that verse is about food and it's got a very different context, I'm trying to contextualise it and understand it in in my context, so that's how I understand, that's why I think it's really only lyrics because they're the only part that actually come from within you, the other part comes from like, I don't know it's all technical in a way, like it's all like you play the guitar you play the chords, you play the rhythms, it's all sort of set set already, you're just mirroring things, whereas lyrics, they are completely of you, in Mm -hmm. a way
0: Mm. that's how I see it and I think as well I think we have to admit that when it comes to genre like if we were to take genre and ask sort of okay what's the what's the energy of a genre I know that's like a really new agey sort of terminology but like really when you think about genres we do associate energy with specific genres we do we associate sort of I don't know like romantic young hip with like R&B or like yeah. Um, we associate perhaps anger with like um, heavy metal, or or you know if, if you wanted to just take that into the next subgenre like power metal. Power metal is not so much angry, but it's more like hyped up and it's more like you know excited. Mm. If you want to take classical music, it's kind of it that fits. That's like a that's like a a, a, a genre all on its own. Like it's it's its own thing because you have calm melodic, but then you have like. You know neo classical yeah you have well, like which is a whole different stream of yeah. classical yeah so it it seems to me to a certain degree that what you have is you, you you have a whole bunch of creatives and artists and people who are not quite so structured or they're not quite so you know bound to okay well this is my genre and I'm sticking to this and this is the formula and then you have perhaps the church which doesn't quite know how to do creativity well. Mm. It it wants to create boundaries. It wants to create categories, but the categories don't really fit. Do you see that sort of tension going on? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of the, the majority of the people that I've had somewhat heated discussions about music and genre, they're not the most creative types. They're more <laughs> logical. They're more methodical. They're more analytical and all that. Does that... Has that been your experience, or what has been your experience?
1: Uh, I've had a combination. I think, like I've I've dealt with people who are creative, who, but they have a very different sense of creativity than I do, um, and that's fine. Like I, 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 I don't I don't have a problem with people having preferences in worship. I think that's fine, and not everything necessarily works for a church congregational setting, and that's fine too. Um, like you you have to pick things that are right for your church, and so there is a bit of logic that goes into it as well, and you do have to have care in that um I've got some sort of steps for like like some helpful tips for choosing songs which we'll get into later but that even that th- there's got to be a bit of logic behind it as well because um like it's it's not like everything we do as creatives is simply creative uh, there are there are rules and things in in music and you can choose to break those rules and whatever that's jazz i guess <laughs> um <laughs> the number one rule of jazz is if you hit the wrong wrong note just hit it again but hit it louder or hit it harder <laughs> <laughs> it seems to work out i love um, it not that i can I play jazz it. but um yeah so I, I guess and i think it it can be it can be difficult for people who aren't necessarily creative to understand um like for example you know, if if you have a really conservative parent, for example, like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking like theologically and um, practically um, conservative in our church, and then they have a child who's just, they're born and they're naturally really creative and maybe a bit spontaneous. Um, that can be hard to fit into, into Adventism. Um, it can be hard to fit into any conservative denomination, I guess. Um, but the thing is, I think... If that child is always taught that no, 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 you you can't write, um, like you can't be creative with how you pray, you can't be creative with how you worship God musically, you can't be creative in in these sort of in the God space that's very prescribed. I think it can mm-hmm. actually have a very personally, and this is I guess this is a bit of pseudoscience, but <laughs> but I think it could have a pretty damaging effect on how that how that person relates to God. But if, uh, if somebody who's naturally creative is taught that, yeah, you can write songs about God. Look, we sing this song. This was written, you know, a few like just this year and we're singing it in church. Like God's still doing things today and you can still write yeah. about it and still be creative yeah. about it today. When we only sing songs um, that are really old, that suggests, without, suggest- without actually saying anything, it actually suggests that God used to work, but he doesn't do it anymore. There's nothing to write wow. about now.
0: That's a really interesting idea and that that spills into a much larger discussion about, you know, what's God saying today? Like does God actually talk today? Does he have something new to say in music or through uh, a new type of scripture? I don't know. Uh, that's that's a pretty controversial, you know, idea to suggest, but yeah, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, go on. Sorry.
1: Well, yeah, the, well that's a that's just what I think people like it it's sort of it sort of says it without saying anything that if everything is prescribed, there's no room for people to create. And yeah. we can't have that in our churches because I mean, I, th- I personally think that becoming a disciple of Jesus is not following a blueprint, but it's actually one of the most creative journeys you can go on because he shows you how to bring the kingdom of heaven into your unique sphere of life. And the only way to do that is through creatively bringing it in in different ways. And mm. so, a great way to practice that is through music. And I think personally, it's really healthy for churches to learn new songs on a, even a semi-regular basis. That doesn't mean that has to be like the latest, the latest Hillsong or Elevation or Bethel or whatever. It can be. It can be a new song just to your church. That's fine. And it could be a very classical style. There are still new songs that are being written and that are in an older sort of genre. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very helpful so because a, it, actually, it actually it preaches in itself that God is still working today and He is still worth writing about.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. So on a very practical level, I know that a lot of the time when we have these discussions, there's sort of like this underlying fear um, amongst sort of quote-unquote conservatives who are having these discussions. And the fear is you want to take away all my hymns. You want to take away all the stuff that... I love you. Want to take away all the traditions, all the things that I've grown up with? What is the right way to go about having this discussion in your church if that's the attitude? And I've seen this over and over again.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I really wish I had a, a silver bullet for this. And was just say this, then this, then this, and this, and it'll all work out great. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's something you honestly because people. The thing is, I think I think a big part of it is actually nostalgia. So like, and I know that sounds horrible to say, but it's a, I reckon it's a really beautiful thing. It's kind of how, you know, in the Old Testament, if God moved, they would build an altar there. And then every time they'd come back through that area, they'd see an altar to God and they'd remember what God did in, in their lives at that point. And I think songs are a lot like building an altar because, um, and, and a lot of us experience that altar. So for example, when I, I still, whenever I listen to um that song, All I Need, From Hillsong's "I Heart Revolution" album from like two thousand eight, I still am like, oh, I love this song, and it's still, and I remember exactly where I was. That was like when I sort of really came back to Jesus, and it's a a huge song to me even now. And I'm like, man, we should sing this every week in church. Why don't we sing songs like this? You know, (laughs) so it's easy for me to get into this too. and it's easy for me to think that my altar is better than better than yours. So, like someone's new altar might be, um, I don't know, "Sinking Deep" by Young and Free, or even something brand new, like yeah. something off the People album, like "Good Grace." Um, so, I, I think we have to really recognize that even those old songs—they're an incredible altar to people—and um, we have a moment to, we have a priv- the privilege to really celebrate that altar with them and ask them, hey, you know, what does this song mean to you? Does it have a powerful, um, does it have a powerful meaning? And hopefully Mm -hmm. that will lead to them asking you about songs that have been really powerful to you. Um, if Mm -hmm. you share your altar with somebody, if you share, uh, what God's done in your life through a song, I think it really breaks down a lot of the walls. Um, it can, uh, another way forward with this, I guess in, in your local church is, um, I guess like recognizing yeah that hymns have their place and depending on your church as well um like if you've got a church where it's mostly um I don't know like 70 plus year olds and you're one of f- five <laughs> like uh, five people under 35 um you're pretty outnumbered by people who probably have a lot of older altars and that's fine um and you can celebrate that with them um, but I, I guess it's important then for you when you do your worship to be, be a bit graceful and do things that they're going to celebrate and they're going to love. But also, um, it, it gives you a chance to really share authentically about, about, yeah, what God's doing in you. if you get a chance to be a part of the service, um, and another thing as well, I guess I would add to this is like when I go to a church service, I don't really care what songs are going to play personally. Um, because I, f- I fuel up a lot before I get there. I like listen to songs in the morning. Um, I guess that's an advantage because I'm a musician. I grab my guitar and I sing and I have my own little worship sessions at home by myself. So when I go to church, like I don't really care what they sing on the platform because I'm full already. Like I'm keen to just worship to whatever they can. If it sounds horrible, like as in vis- like actually is out of tune and that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 then I And I'm like, okay, this is to end. Um, but if it's, like, as far as choice of songs, I mean, I don't, yeah, it doesn't really affect me that much. I, I've already had moments to experience what I love. And in small groups as well, you get that too, if you're singing your small group. Um, so there are ways to, I suppose, get what you really love um, and your preferences. But it is, it is valuable that you actually take time to talk about that. Even with older members, just start one-on-one. Um, don't start with the biggest adversary to it. Start with Start with other people who are a bit more neutral to it and just have conversations with them. What's your favorite hymn? Or why is it your favorite? Mm. Have you got an experience with it? Because you'll even find a lot of those older people in our churches or younger people who really love hymns, they won't love all the hymns. No. There are hymns that nobody likes and they're still in our hymnal, <laughs> you know? Bro,
0: bro, I, I was preaching at, an, at a more conservative church a few a few weeks ago and as usually happens, they ask, all right, give us some hymns. So I gave them some hymns. Um, I think I gave him three hymns. Two of them were fine. And there was like a, a worship team that got up to sing alongside the piano and the organ and the violin. You know, beautiful. That's sort of what I grew yeah, up awesome. with. So I, I really appreciated that. The final hymn was Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Do you know that one? I don't know it, to be honest. I didn't oh grow up with hymns. for a, so a thousand that's... tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Anyway, I'm not cool. a musician, but... Yes, you are. Um, they, I saw this panic in the worship team's eyes because they'd never heard this hymn before. And I didn't realize that they'd never heard I thought this was a common hymn, but it wasn't a common hymn. And so we sung this hymn really awkwardly right at the very end. No fault of the congregation, no fault of the musicians. It was just idiot jesse picking a song that nobody knew and nobody really <laughs> liked and so here we were singing everybody was sort of off key a little bit a little bit out of time which honestly is even worse you can be off key but if you're out of time that just ruins it, <laughs> it was yeah, so awkward absolutely and this is a big point i mean
1: people i i hear a lot people like I, i've had people say oh people just see they sing so loudly in the hymns i'm like Yeah, they sing loudly in the hymns they know. People sing loudly in songs they know and songs they like as well. They sing just as loudly when we sing How Great Is Our God. They sing just as loudly when we sing, I don't know. Amazing Grace. Yeah, well, that's that's a hymn. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, like, I think... This is why it's important that we actually, like, we need worship leaders and people to teach songs and we need a systematic way in churches. How are we going to learn new songs? How frequently are we going to learn new songs? How are we going to implement them into our congregation? Um, A great way to get through this is to work with your local pastor. Um, If he, like, if, if they're behind you on a song choice... Um, and you've got a a few people and you want to really teach that song and it's got meaning that's really relevant, say if the pastor is going to do a sermon series and it's a theme song, for me, I've found that's like the number one way to teach a congregation a new song. If you have like a four-week series at your church or a six-week series, have a theme song. And just sing it every week and tell every worship team we're going to sing it every week because this is our theme song. We're going to learn it. Doesn't matter if you don't like it or not, this is the theme song. I mean, obviously, do it in a gentle way, but I've found <laughs> that is the most efficient way because then you're also adding theology to the song. You're adding, you're cre- kind of creating a, a little altar because you're putting it around a series that could be significant to someone. You're mm-hmm. adding a reason to learn a new song. Um, yeah. That's what I've found the easiest way. But yeah. there are other ways too, I'm sure.
0: All I- right. I remember when you were here in Palmy, you had a theme song every month. Like you would introduce a new song and you'd sing that every month in your church, and that seemed to work really well. The youth really loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was um, really easy. And you tell the worship
1: teams, and you tell them, you give them why we're doing it, and give them a reason why. And there were some who didn't just didn't want to do the theme song. That's you know because it was just a bit far removed from what they're used to doing. I don't know. Yeah. So we had discussions around that, but eventually they came around because we establish that okay well instead of you doing it how about you just organize somebody to do it as a special item instead for your week and that was a great compromise for a lot of people they're like oh cool so we don't have to sing it we just get people to sing it, and then we just yeah because it maybe was too hard for them to learn a song in that genre or something so um yeah i think it's it's important that we really you've got to kind of think you can't just think like okay we're going to make our song like Life Church or whatever this week and we're just going to go ha- like hard and have all these new songs. That's not fair to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Y- You got to think about, okay, what's a what's a
0: logical way that I could really teach
1: people um, about this?
0: And I think honestly, like hymns are a great place to start if your church is kind of struggling with their worship dynamics. Hymns are great because hymns are like designed to have an organ or a piano and then just some singers. It's really easy. And honestly the vast majority of hymns all kind of sound the same like in terms of their tempo and the notes and the chords that are used and just the feel and the tone of the songs all all a lot of hymns are very 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 similar and you could say that about contemporary christian music as well oh, but yeah, yeah. It, it's it's significantly easier i think uh, to play a lot of hymns there are some hymns that are absolute oh. nasty with four four flats or something like that which make violinists and guitarists just cringe, but yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's and well that's the
1: thing. I mean a lot of a lot of um hymns kind of got um heavily simplified when they got put into the Adventist hymnal. They used to, like for example some of them used to have a lot more rhythm to them and a lot more so yeah. Yeah, I guess a lot more syncopation is the golden word, but <laughs> um but <laughs> they sort of took all that out, not because there was anything theologically wrong with it but because they wanted to make it really easy for churches to sing these songs. So now every bit of the melody is just a part of the chords. That's why you get the the chord like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun yeah. and you just sing along with the... They made it, I think, too easy, but you know, it's kind of good for yeah. churches who maybe don't have that greater organist or pianist or whatever because all they have to do is just play the exact chord. They don't have to worry about a rhythm or anything. That's why it was done like that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So as we as we kind of come to the end of this discussion, um, are there any other things that you'd like to point out? And then I think it would probably be good if you were to point people towards some resources that really have helped you to grapple through, like theology of worship, all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I have so much to say. This is the problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I guess um, something I was thinking about as well is like in the Old Testament, for example. Um, Levites which were like the priests they were musical they had to really lead the worship of the um of the congregation and they had to really um yeah they they were they, that was a big part of their job as priests in the temple it's been a huge part of our tradition since before we were our tradition i guess uh, and I think I would love to see, uh, like, I don't know why con- the our conferences haven't hired more musicians or m- m- more like a worship director in each conference or something like that. Um, so if there's people out there who are listening, uh, maybe this is something worth bringing up with your leaders. Um, maybe if it, not, not somebody who's going to direct the songs for every single congregation and say, here's the songs that you're singing, but just somebody who's like adequately trained in worship so we can get some good teaching and worship around our churches um, and somebody who we can trust to put resources out to our local conferences to help them um, not be so misguided by bad resources on worship because there's a lot of bad stuff out there and not a whole lot of great stuff
0: i'm finding yeah, you've been handed you've been handed a, a book or two in your time about why m- contemporary music is evil and all that sort of stuff
1: yeah and i read them to be honest i was curious and i prayed like i remember i, I remember reading that like People were like, wow, why are you reading this? And I'm like, well, because if I hand them a resource, I want them to read it too. So I'm going to pay that same courtesy. And I remember honestly praying um, that God, if if you want to change my heart on how I feel about worship, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'll follow you. So I'll read this book and whatever comes of it, comes with it. So just teach me, open my heart. And I read it and then closed it. And was like, yep, that was just as much garbage as I thought it would be. But it helped <laughs> me. <laughs> but you read it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it really helped me understand the perspective. Um, and there were some points in there that I was like, wow, oh, that's actually interesting. I'm going to look into that. And, and I did. Um, so I think it's important to give people the time of day if you want the reverse to be true. Treat others how you want to be treated. Um, mm. uh, but I, some of my golden rules, I guess, for choosing songs in your church Um, we kind of touched on a few of these already, but I'll just go through them. Um, new songs need to be written and introduced in our songs. So I, I think the Adventist church, we need people writing songs. I think it would solve a lot of our issues with worship if more people wrote songs from our church, church, as in songs for congregational singing. Um, I just think it's really important and I think it's part of who we need to be that we actually need to be writing, writing songs as a denomination, Um, but also in your local church, it's important. Even if your church is super old school and you're super old school, you like hymns and you like classical music, that's fine. Whatever your preference is, it's, but, um, be sure to introduce songs. Even if it's new songs from the hymnal that your church has never sung, it's important to keep learning new songs and have a systematic way of doing it in your church. Talk to your pastor about it. Or if you are a pastor, talk to your team about it, your elders. Um, it's a really important journey. It's a really important part of your journey as a church. Um, which leads me to you need intentionality with your song choices. Don't just choose songs because the church knows them and they're like, oh, yeah, this one will work, this one will work. Choose intentional songs. Um, this is really important because you need – worship needs to be intentional. Um, I think you actually need to pe- take people on a like a theological journey. So a uh, good example of this, for example, uh, so say, say you're doing a um, – the sermon for that day is on um, – I don't know what's a random topic peace um yeah yeah, sure. let's do peace. that doesn't mean every song needs to be about peace, but you could do you could do a song you could do it like the you could start off with a song about how good God is, and then you could turn like you could move to a song about um that like you can move into it as well and then you could move into something like but uh, like peace by Hillsong young and free that's the thing like it doesn't need to be Not every song needs to be about peace. But you actually have the opportunity to be intentional and take people on a theological journey with songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. maybe I can maybe I can do up some resources for people on that and how to like just yeah. some some examples of it maybe and we can put it on the blog. I don't know. I'll think from, about it
0: <laughs> from a from a pastor's perspective. I think you know this is something that I hear a lot of the time, but I think it's so true that the the whole worship service should be tailored to get to one point, to one idea, to one big idea, so that. By the time the pastor has is getting up or the communicator, whoever's communicating, gets up on stage to preach their message, all they have to do is just nudge the ball into the goal. You know, the, the, the music team, the prayer team, whoever else is participating in the service has gotten the ball all the way to the goal. And so the pastor doesn't have to do all this work to try and get people back to whatever the big idea is. They can just nudge the ball into the goal and it's because it's a team effort.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so that's why I think, yeah, take work on taking people on a journey there, and you won't always win with this, but it's it's worth trying, I think. Um, and that kind of leads me—you do actually need to have a bit of theological care with, especially with new songs that you're teaching, um, because not every song is, uh, th- not every song theologically works in an Adventist context. Some some might work, but they are a bit questionable. Um, a good example of this, for example, uh, is why am I saying saying the word example so much? Sorry, guys. I think I'm just (laughs) nervous. Um, a good example of this is that song by I think it's Bethel. Um, forever, you know, forever he's glorified. Yeah, yeah. great song, but there is a questionable verse in there. Like, uh, you could get around it, but it's something you just need to think about. Um, the verse is when they say, um, a battle in the grave and a war on death was waged. So that comes from the theological perspective that when Jesus died, he went into hell and
0: actually waged right. a war on hell, right? So yeah. it's like a war on death was waged. It's a little when bit of an extra biblical it, sort of thing, which is kind of a theological basis that a lot of people take on, which is not, it's not biblical, but it's sort of extended application in a way.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely not the Adventist understanding of that passage um, mm. of, of Jesus's death. And so, I mean, if you're going to sing that song in church, it's worth, like, if you decide, yeah, we still want to sing it because the rest of the song is still worth singing for us, Um, it's just important to know that that verse could be taken in the wrong way. Just from a leadership perspective, you just need to take a bit of care because I think this is actually a valid point that a lot of people have when they criticize worship music. They'll say the theology is wrong, and, yeah, fair enough. You shouldn't be singing things that are, yeah, that don't agree with your theology yeah. as a church. Totally. Um, totally. Common sense. that isn't very common. Um, cool. <laughs> and the, the last point I have, I guess, is that people actually need to be led. Um, and this is something we really underrate. We, d- we have singers, but we don't have worship leaders. And we mm. need people who are actually going to lead you into worship and lead you into a space. Um, for some people the worship is the main part of a church. That's why they go to church. They love singing as a congregation. And that that for them is infinitely more um, exciting than the sermon, the prayer, Sabbath school, anything. For them, worship is the main part. And so when people aren't taking very much care in that, it's like the pastor getting up and being like, okay, guys, what am I going to talk about today? Um, let's just read a couple of verses. I don't know. I'll pray and then, you know. Whereas yeah, yeah. yeah. Most pastors take a lot of prep and put a lot of time into getting ready to lead their congregation in a sermon, you know, or lead someone in a Sabbath school lesson. So we need people who are actually ready to lead music at church. Um, And so it's really important. I think that's like my personal philosophy is that I use each song that we do that day, I will designate somebody to lead that song. Um, Sometimes it's me for every single song or maybe one other person for one other song. Just mm. it depends on the setting, but sometimes I'll get someone different every single song mm. just to like yeah, get people ready. I think it's really important that you have somebody who's an established leader of the song mm. and they will lead the congregation so they direct you know we're gonna we're gonna spontaneously sing another bridge that's your call um mm. you want to do a little talk before it that's your call that's how we're gonna work this. I'm gonna still coordinate the whole thing, but yeah, I'm trusting you to lead this song and if it's gonna if it's not going well with the congregation, it's up to you to really.
0: I don't know, drive drive it home for people. Could I ask a quick question? Please. Just, you mentioned um, giving people the prerogative to you know, uh, do a spontaneous bridge or talk a little bit before the song. A lot of people talk before a song, uh, yeah. <laughs> a prayer, an announcement. How much is enough? How much is too much when it comes to songs? Because I've seen situations where you have a song leader say something before the song and it's like a sermonette. And it's like yeah. completely off the off the planet, completely about something has nothing to do with what the big idea is in our church service that day.
1: Yeah, I. So what I'll okay yeah I guess I should probably lay that out. What I generally mean when I'll say I have someone lead each song and they can say something before the song. Um, generally, I'll say like, "Hey." Um, Well, okay. So here's my little trick is that um, a big part of what I work on when we do, when I do worship training with people and when we do practices, I work on transitions a lot, which no one else seems to work on. So that's how (laughs) you transition to each song. Uh, So what I'll try and do is like, I'll try and set up, say we do a set of three songs and then at the end we do one song. So between each of the three songs, I will like not have a break in the music. So we'll be playing and then we finish the last song and then maybe the, pianist will then change the key if there's a key change or we will just stay on the pads or something and then we'll, then the guitar will come over with the lead for the new song or something like that or we will cut out and then somebody will just start singing straight away. I try and actually make the moves to each song really prompt and to reduce talking time. Um, yeah. Mainly because I established that it's not actually our job to preach that day. It's the preacher's job to preach. Our job is to lead the music. Um, <laughs> That's a revelation. Yeah, I know, I know. I I try and tell everybody that, like people who do the welcome, I'm like, you don't need to do a sermon in the welcome. <laughs> Your job is to welcome people and make people feel happy to be there when people yeah. do the prayer. Your job is not to do a sermon before the prayer. Your job is to pray um, and get people into a space to pray. <laughs> the preacher's job is to do the sermon for the day. If we want a sermonette, we'll write one into the program. So that's, that's how I, like I'm pretty harsh with that, I guess. Um, but I do tell people, look, at the same time, if the Holy Spirit is moving you to say something, I'm not going to get in the way of that. Um that's a bit like people I try and take it away so people don't feel the need to say something to introduce a song. I'll often mm. just we just sing the song without saying anything. It's they're mm. only going to say something if they really feel driven
0: to say it by the Holy Spirit. So, um, how do you how do you feel about um the music the music finishes and then everything's dead silent and then the music leader says and our next song is Amazing Grace. Please sing with us, church. I can't. I Personally,
1: it's a big pet peeve. Like, you don't need to say what the next song is. It's on the slide. You don't need to tell people to stand. I mean, Okay, okay. in, in most churches, you actually probably do. If you want people to stand, you just tell them to stand and you don't tell them when to sit down until it's time to sit down. Like, if we're already standing, don't tell us to please remain standing. Just sing the song. Um... I know I'm super harsh ah. with this, but it just drives me crazy because I think there's a lot, like we underestimate, like, like how stupid do you think the congregation is that they can't read what it is or they don't know the song already? If it's a new song that they've never sung before, yeah, we'll do a bit of sharing around it. Or if we're just starting worship, or sometimes what I do, depends on the church. Sometimes we get up and we don't say anything before the first song. We just start singing and it depends on the church. Maybe that church will just stand up and just start singing. Or if it's a kind of church who really needs to be like, come on, let's do it. We're doing it. I'll do a talk before that. Um, Really depends on the church. I try and always share like a Bible verse before we sing as well, um, if it's relevant. But if, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard. you got got to play it. But I, I really say, look, I don't want you to say anything you don't need to say. I only yeah. want you to say yeah. things that are really going to add something to this service um, because we really want to, we really want to give people the like most engaging experience ever, and we want mm. people to just focus on God, not focus on what they have to do. Like you have to stand up now, you have to sing. How great is our God? You have to sing the bridge twice. You know what
0: I mean? It's yeah yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's how I see it. No, totally, totally. I was part of a church once that really there was a good number of people in that church who hated standing. Full stop. They just couldn't stand standing up for songs. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I remember once I was asking around, I was like doing sort of like a in-person survey and I was like, what what could we do that could, you know, help make worship more enjoyable and more, you know, enriching for you? They're like, let us sit down for all the songs. I was like, no, (laughs) we're
1: not not doing that. That sucks. You physically sing better and louder when you're standing up. You sing worse when you're sitting down. Even professional singers sing worse when they're sitting down. The worst is when you're laying down, so... You can lay down when you sing, but you won't sing well.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, yeah. Any more? Any more tips, tricks? Uh, then we might go into resources that you would rate. Um, no, I don't think I have any more tips. I think that, that about covers it. That's probably enough for for everybody.
1: Um, resources. My number one resource on worship is there's a book. Um. And I know for you, like most of you who listen to this, probably don't read a lot because you listen to things. Um, so, but theres I don't think there's an audio book. Uh, but this is one of the few books that I think it's worth. You can hear the, the pages. I actually have a physical book because I lend it to people because it's honestly the best thing I've ever invested in. Um, but it's a book called In Tune With God by Dr. Lillian Ducan. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. Yeah, I want yeah. to meet her one yeah. day. But she's the associate professor of music, teaches musicology at Andrews University, as well as worship and music at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University. Um so yeah, she holds a PhD in musicology. So it's like <laughs> so she's got like the music knowledge, but also the very theological knowledge. So that for yeah. me is the number one. It's such a fantastic book. Um, I'd recommend it to everyone. If, especially if your church is having issues I think every church should have this in their library throw out all the other books you have on worship in the library <laughs> just have that <laughs> one um, yeah that's a really that's yeah my number one at this stage awesome <laughs> so, awesome. yeah I've, I've never got to bother
0: referencing anything else yeah no that's cool um, any other thoughts anything you'd like to add before we close off the I feel like I'm the interviewer and you're the guest like <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today Josh this has been a really great Conversation,
1: yeah. Well, no problem, guys. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it does feel a bit like that. But it's, it was like, it makes sense to do it this way, I guess. If people want to get in touch about it, you can, um, you can just message us burn the haystack or you can message me. I guess, um, mm. send us an email. Maybe we'll do, depending on what the questions we get. If people need more resources or whatever, we might do a follow up episode on this later on. Or depending on if people think I'm an absolute heretic or something, yeah. We'd love to talk about it, so make sure you send us a message, um, which you can do through through our website uh, or social media, email.
0: Yeah. yeah. This might be a really great... I think we're going to do some stuff with a Facebook group that we've just started. That's. Yeah. Go- I think this is going to be a really great platform to discuss these ideas.
1: Who only listeners who get to the very end of the episode get to know about the Facebook group. We don't talk about it for the first hour of the episode, so if that's you... yeah. Remember, the secret password is Poppy Gloria. So, don't tell people that. You only know it because we've said it on this episode. You're a secret listener. And so, you get to join the group. That's the password. (laughs) It's really
0: great. So, if you you do want to join our Facebook group, please do so. Use the secret password and you will be admitted into Paradise. Or at least the the Paradise before Paradise. That's what we're... (laughs) that's burn the way the i'm thinking community.
1: about it paradise before paradise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like your for- pre-
0: t- it's your taster <laughs> and for all things burn the haystack make sure you go to burnthehaystack.org. awesome and if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast and if you are already a subscriber take this to the next level and uh, leave a rating or a-, a review we would love it if you did that and we will love you forever if you do that absolutely so that is it from us we love you have a great
1: time doing whatever you're doing that is josh and jesse out episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.